You're listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast in Kingsport, Tennessee. We are a community committed to prayer, radical hospitality, and intentional invitation. The gospel lesson for this uh, Palm Sunday is from Matthew, the 21st chapter, verses 1 through 11. And as I discovered when I came down here this morning, um, Matthew, Luke, and Mark all sound pretty much alike because I'd sent the wrong thing to the projecting roof, (laughs) but we fixed it. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them and will send them immediately. And, they took, and this took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus directed them and they brought the donkey and the colt and they put their cloaks on them and he sat upon it. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowd went ahead of him, and and those that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, I want you to try to use divine imagination for just a minute. And I know that's not easy because I look out on people who've been through many a Palm Sunday service. But suppose for a moment that you don't know anything about the gospel message. Suppose you've never read anything, you've never heard anything at all about Jesus. And then suppose you find this copy of Matthew's gospel. And you pick it up and you begin to read. And there you find the accounts, at least Matthew's version, of the birth of Jesus and his ministry and his teaching and his preaching, his healing and his miracles, his deep love and caring for all kinds of people it would be very hard not to be impressed with somebody like this. So good a man going around doing remarkable things. But then as you read on into Matthew's gospel, you begin to see that there's a conflict arising between Jesus and the religious leaders. And there's even broad hints that there's going to be a confrontation and it could develop most any time. Jesus himself speaks openly, if a little cryptically, about his death and about going up to Jerusalem. And you wonder, how can people hate him for all the things he's done that are good? And then you read on a little bit further and you come to this chapter of Matthew's gospel. And the account of Jesus entering into the holy city. And there has to be some great sense of satisfaction that the hordes of people come out and greet Jesus that day. 
Here is this great and good man finally getting what he deserves. All glory, laud, and honor. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It's like a great victory parade. All it needs is tall buildings and ticker tape. You get the picture? At this point, if you don't know the rest of the story, it feels a lot like the ending to the movies we love because the good guy wins. Everything comes out the way it's supposed to. Hooray for Jesus, right? It's satisfying when good wins over evil. We don't see that that often. And right triumphs over wrong. And what a great ending this would be. Hosanna to the son of David. And it means save us now, Jesus. And we could almost end and they lived happily ever after. But that's not how the story goes, is it? Because we've read it before. We've heard it. If we do know the story, we understand that there's more here than they lived happily ever after, however much we might like that ending. And so one of the questions I have every time I come to a Palm Sunday is, is it really time for us to be celebrating? We've got the palm fronds and we wave them and in second service, the children are going to participate and sing, those who are in the, in the children's choir. In my living memory, Palm Sunday has mostly been a day where we did celebrate. And it's as if we almost forgot all the other events that are going to take place in this Holy Week that stands in front of us. Maybe we remember communion on Monday, Thursday. Presbyterians don't often do Good Friday. Sometimes we do, but not often. It's almost as if we forget or we choose not to think about Good Friday and Holy Saturday. For the most part, we go from Hosanna to the Son of David and directly to Hallelujah, He's risen. But you've heard me say many times before, you can't truncate this piece of the gospel. You have to go through this week before you're ready to celebrate Easter. And so in more recent years, our church has begun to discover again this passion of our Lord as well as Palm Sunday because it takes passion to lead to resurrection. Palm Sunday is this day of momentary triumph to be sure. There's the adulation of the crowd, but then we know it is a long, fast slide. And it's all downhill from our way of thinking from this moment. So again, should we be celebrating on a Palm Sunday? Is Palm or Passion Sunday really the joyful event we sometimes depict it to be in the life of the church? Now I think it's pretty clear that Jesus used this day of Palms as a day of triumph. As a Jewish boy brought up in the synagogue, he knew the prophecies of the coming Messiah. Nobody knew him better. 
And as he approaches Jerusalem for the last time, he really does not only remember, but he acts out the prophecy of Zechariah. He goes and he gets the donkey and they do the things that Zechariah says will happen when the Messiah is coming. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes. Triumphant and victorious. Riding on an ass. On a colt, the foal of an ass. This is one of those few times that Jesus proclaims before everybody who he is. He's hinted at it before. He's told the disciples things he hasn't told anybody else. But here, acting out the Zechariah the, the prophecy, he is telling any and everybody who's watching that he is the Messiah. All those euphemistic terms that Jesus loved to use about himself, he's not using right now. It's no longer son of man. It's no longer something else. No, he has enacted the messianic prophecy. And so for Jesus, there is a kind of triumph on this day. Even though he knows full well what is coming. So is it time for us to celebrate too? The disciples did not fully understand what's going on. That is clear by what we see through the rest of Holy Week. Jesus has told them that they're coming to Jerusalem. Jesus has told them that he's going there to die. And yet they still hold out hope that it's just not so. And so for them, it must have felt very much like a victory parade. For them, it must have been, finally, somebody else gets who he is. Now we can go on from here. Time to celebrate? Is it? See, I think Palm Sunday is a time to celebrate. But it's only a time for us to celebrate if we remember that celebration leads us to a cross. Palm or Passion Sunday is a time when we can sing Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but only if we remember that Jesus is making a choice about coming into Jerusalem, not just this way, but the way he's going to go out of Jerusalem too. How do you celebrate in the face of what's going to be apparently disaster? See, I think we do it all the time and we just don't think about it. Years ago in the first church I served in Lake City, Florida, I was a green associate pastor and didn't know much of anything. But I got the assignment one Sunday afternoon that I was going to take communion to one of our elders who was in the hospital and dying. And in that church... They used the big silver communion trays and you took the entire tray, one of bread, one of juice, when you went to, the, to do communion shut-ins. And so I went. And there, gathered in this room, was an elder, hospital, in his hospital bed, 
riddled with pain, and around him was a wife, children, and grandchildren. And they all knew he's dying. This isn't maybe he's dying, maybe he'll get better. No, he's dying. And so we talked for a little while, and then it became pretty clear that he was quickly losing whatever energy he had. And he says, I think we need to celebrate communion now. I'm getting a little tired. Do you have enough elements for everybody? Well, he'd seen me bring in the big trays. He knew I did. And I assured him, and there amidst the tubes and the hospital bed and all the paraphernalia that goes with dying, that bedside table thing that swings across the top of the bed became a communion table. And he and his family celebrated Holy Communion together. So how do you celebrate communion? You notice the emphasis in communion is always on celebrate. It's not we just have it. We celebrate it. How do we celebrate communion in the face of our dying? We do it when we know that in life and in death we belong to God. That's how we do it. There are lots of smiles. There were plenty of tears. But there was also the strength of the faith of these people in this room and the confidence and the assurance that this earthly celebration of Holy Communion is only a foretaste of the heavenly banquet that is to come. So maybe, maybe that's what Jesus felt and the disciples felt in as much as they knew as they celebrated Palm Sunday. It's only a celebration for those who know and understand that all celebrations, no matter how wonderful, are always tinged with a little bit of the sadness of life. It's just the way the world is. It was easy on that first Palm Sunday for the crowd to get into the swing of things and follow along and take off their outer garments or cut a branch from the tree and do all these things. Hosanna, you know what it means. Save us now, Jesus. That's what it means. And really, what were they asking Jesus to save them from? Probably the Romans. They probably didn't have any idea who this Jesus really was and what he had come for. How many days later is it that that same crowd gathers in an outer courtyard and shouts, crucify him? You know some of them were the same people. You know they were. One of our old hymns of the church reminds us that we are the ones even though none of us were physically there, who crucified Jesus because he dies for all of us. We talk about celebrating. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I told you about that incident early in my ministry. But all of our celebrations take place in front of 
the great pain and trouble of this world. Most of you know, of course, there was a funeral in the church this past week. And I cannot help but think about the sense not only of pain and loss, but also the sense of celebration of a good man gone home. I pride myself. Yes, I know, pride goes before fall. that I have only missed two of what I call the church's high holy days in 40 years of ministry. One of them, and those are, if you want to know what those are, I always think of those as being Christmas, Eve, Christmas, Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Easter. Um, I really don't count Pentecost in that because I've missed one or two of those. But anyway, I missed one of those in 97 when I missed Christmas Eve And really, I miss Christmas because I had gallbladder surgery. And trust me, there was not a bit of celebration that went on in that, except that I survived. But the first one took place six years earlier. We drove, along with our children at the time, of course, and Karen's family, to Pope Air Force Base. That's Fort Bragg. And watched her sister come home from the first Iraq War. You never quite know what those things are going to be like. I'm a child of Vietnam. I saw no celebrations. We go through the getting together area, we stand out on the tarmac and we know the times the planes are supposed to arrive. Well, if you know anything about Fort Bragg, it's in the sand hills of North Carolina and when you step outside, Lord of mercy, you can see five miles. It's flat as it can be. And way out in the distance... You can see the planes. They're queuing up. And as they come in, 90 seconds between them. They're commercial airliners, by the way. As they taxi down the runway, once they're slow enough, the top hatch. Did you know there was a top hatch in airliners? I didn't know that. But it opens. Help pops the flags. Roll to a stop. The soldiers begin to deplane. And you can't tell one from the other. They're all in full combat gear, including their helmets. All are carrying weapons. And here are the families anxiously waiting. And you can't see anything except sea of camo. They queue up, well, I guess what we would really say is they stand in formation. They're dismissed, and as they come toward you, you begin to see and finally recognize who these people are. And you can imagine there's some tears that go along with that. There's a lot of hugging and a lot of introduction to their buddies who are with them. 
You think it was time to celebrate at that moment? We thought it was. But it's also only by remembering that celebration comes at a very high cost for some folks. Human celebration always has this duality because as those soldiers came off those planes, not all of them came off the planes. It was one of the least costly wars the United States has ever fought. But there were still deaths. And there was horrendous carnage on the other side. Was it time to celebrate? I thought so. I suspect you think so. But only when you know the cost. Human celebrations always have that sense of duality. I've laughed and talked with any number of you about basketball in the last three or four weeks. You know what happens in a game, don't you? Somebody wins. Somebody loses. And we don't have one drop of the milk of human kindness if we don't have some level of sympathy for those 18, 19, and 20-year-olds who sit on the sideline and cry because they lost. Palm Sunday, this day of passion and palms, is always a mixture. And I think all human celebration is. So we can sing the hosannas. We can talk about blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but only as we remember the cost only as we remember the rest of the story, as we say. So yeah, celebrate. Celebrate, but also wait, because this is not the end of the story. We get to that one next week. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our faith community, visit us online at chpres.org.